Okay, well, um, try and reel you in. I was told by Adam this morning that I breathe funny through the Britney mic. So um, just something else for me to worry about while I'm up here, so apologies. I breathe very heavy through the Britney mic, so I'm sorry. Um, so yeah, we have obviously, the, the series we've been doing over the last kind of couple of months has been out of this world, um, and we've been looking at different characters within the Bible, um, and just some of the really incredible things that they did, and what we can take from them today in our own lives. And for the next kind of couple of weeks, we're still carrying on with this series, but we're kind of taking like a Christmas spin on it, um, and I'm kind of kicking that off this week, and I am speaking on Mary, on Mary, the mother of Jesus. And... Um, I'm quite excited with this. I think I love Mary. I really do. I think she's got an incredible story. I, I think sometimes we have a tendency to put Mary in a box that only comes out one month a year. We have a tendency to kind of pull her out when the kids are doing their nativity and we kind of dilute her down to like a kid's character. Um, and isn't this wonderful? An angel visited Mary and she's going to have a baby and she's going she's gonna to go to Bethlehem and she's going to have the baby. And it's this lovely story. And while it's, it's really incredible that it's such a simple story that kids can definitely grasp it and learn from it and understand it, there's a lot more to Mary um, and a lot more to the fact that she's just pulled out once a month. There's a lot more weight behind her and I think a lot more that we can take from Mary. Um, and that's kind of what we're gonna look at this morning. Um, just for a little bit of context, the majority of Mary's story is told to us through Luke's gospel. Um, that's where she's mentioned the most. Um, we hear of her um, in other gospels as well, but prim primarily her story is told to us through Luke. That's where we hear the context of Mary, who she is, where she's from, all that kind of stuff. And it, it's particularly, it's Luke chapter one. And this is a really actually significant chapter probably in the New Testament because a lot of stuff happens in this one chapter. A lot of stuff happens. We have Zachariah who is visited by the angel Gabriel when he's ministering in the temple. Um, and he's told that his wife, who is above childbearing age, she's going to have a baby. Um, we then have Mary who is also visited by Gabriel and she's obviously given the message that she's going to have a baby um, and that it's going to be the son of God. So a nice simple message for Mary there. Um, then Mary goes and visits Elizabeth, who is her elderly cousin, and um, they have their encounter where Mary's, or Elizabeth sorry, is filled by the Holy Spirit and the baby that's in her womb leaps for joy. Uh, we then have Mary's song of praise, known as the Magnificat, and it's also in this one chapter. And then finally, we have the birth of John the Baptist, who is the, the forerunner for Jesus, so the one that would go before him and kind of announce that, he, that the Messiah is coming. And all of that happens in this one chapter. But the really cool thing is that um, Luke, who obviously is the writer of the gospel, um, is really comfortable with putting Mary as kind of the focal point of the first chapter of his book. He's really comfortable with her almost kind of being the main character within this. And at a time then, back then, when you know, the power dynamic between men and women and the importance level of men and women was very uneven. Um, there's this time where we've got Herod and we've got all the religious leaders who were all men, but at this moment in time, God's eye is firmly fixed on this young girl. Um, and Luke makes that really, really clear. He makes that really evident, um, definitely in the opening chapter of his book. But what I would actually say is that while obviously Mary is a really important character in the New Testament and obviously in the coming of Jesus, I would actually argue that in order for us to fully grasp 
um, the importance of Mary, what we actually need to do is we actually need to stand and look gospel and first of all, look backwards, okay? Because Mary is not just first told about us, um, or told about, we're not first told about Mary, in the first chapter of Luke's gospel, but indeed, in order for us to fully grasp our significance, but also for us to fully grasp, I think, the importance and the story that runs through the entire Bible, we almost need to stand at look and look backwards, right? Because what's, do you know what's kind of interesting as a side note is I've had a lot of conversations recently, actually, um, some of them were, we've just completed Alpha recently, so three Alpha and three different things, where I get a lot of the same narrative of people who are like, you know what, I just don't love the Old Testament. I really like the new one because it's really, it is, it's easier to read and we like it and it's kind of a bit more comfortable. But I really want to challenge that mindset if that's you today, right? Because if you're only reading the New Testament, you're literally only getting half the story, okay? You're literally coming into the the movie theater halfway through the movie. And yes, you arrive at the point where the hero arrives, right? But I really want to encourage you to go and read the, the Old Testament. It is so significant. There is so much in it. And it really sets up the context for what happens in the New Testament. It is not boring. It is not, yeah, it's slightly more difficult to read, absolutely, but it is so significant. So that's just as a side note. Um, but you know what? There's hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament, right, that talk about the coming of Jesus. 300 of which, over 300 of which, um, Jesus uh, fulfilled while he was doing his ministry on earth. Um, but what's actually really cool is there's actually some prophecies about Mary in the Old Testament as well. Um, and these actually go right back to Genesis. Okay, So the first mention that we have of Mary, now obviously she's not named, but it's right back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. And this is God speaking to the serpent, speaking to the, the devil. And he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. So this is God telling Mary right back, or sorry, telling the serpent right back in Genesis that the seed of the woman is literally going to come. It's going to be Jesus and it's going to crush the head of Satan, which we obviously know comes into fruition then in the New Testament. Um, and then Isaiah seven fourteen says, the Lord himself will give you the sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and we'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And I love that, right? Because I love that in God's just infinite power and wisdom, he has constantly worked the whole way through history to bring forward to this one moment in Luke's gospel where this young, seemingly ordinary girl is put right at the center of it. And I almost, I think the fact, I think almost Mary's significance, right, rests not just on the fact that she is the only human being that's involved in the conception and birth of Jesus, that's one thing on its own, um, but also that Mary almost acts as like a bridge between the two testaments. We have these two moments in time and right where they collide, we almost have Mary. And I love this quote by St. Augustine and he says, the New Testament lies hidden in the Old and the Old Testament is unveiled in the new. These are not two standalone pieces of scripture, but these are two pieces of scripture that are totally interwoven. They are totally interrelated. And right standing at the center point is Mary. 
a young girl who we're told is between the age of like 14 to 16 maybe. And right at this point, not only is she the one who will birth the, the one who will, you know, fulfill everything in the old covenant, but she's also birthing the one who will therefore come and establish the new covenant, and that's the one we live in today. Um, so there's so much significance on her, and it is not just, you know, this pretty story that we roll out, but she's actually incredible. And um, yeah, based on that alone, I just think Mary is someone, you know, we're almost a bit we can be a bit scared of the thought of like, okay, so we don't, we don't want to worship Mary, we don't want to pray to Mary, but we can honor Mary. And I think that's something that we can really take from today. Um, so we're going to, um, let's read a bit about Mary's story now. We're going to read from Luke chapter 1. So this is um, Luke chapter 1, um, verse 26 to 38. Um, so bear with me and we'll get through it together. 12 verses, Okay. Um, In the sixth month of um, Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son. You are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who has said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from the Lord will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Okay, so even reading that, we're kind of like, oh, that nice Christmas passage. Um, and I, I love that. I, I, I totally agree with it, but there's just so much more to it. First of all, angelic visitations in the Bible are not madly common. Um, obviously, they, they do happen at different points. We have lots of examples of that and lots of examples of significant times when um, angels appear to people. Um, but they're definitely not common to teenage girls. Um, So I think even right off the bat, we are aware that something pretty big is going to happen here, okay? So like I said, we have Mary. She's about 14 to 16 years old. She's engaged to Joseph. So at this point, she's probably still living at home with her parents. She's probably going about her day um, and, you know, dreaming of her upcoming wedding to the local tradesman. I don't know, something like that. And the angel appears to her and thrusts her into the spotlight of human history. Like I said, it is quite literally the moment when time is split in two. We've got BC and AD, and there's Mary right in the center of it. Um, And the reality is she was a seemingly really ordinary girl. We know she's probably pretty ordinary, because if there was any really distinguishing characteristics about Mary, we probably would have been told about them. Um, But we're literally just told she is a virgin, she's married to Joseph, and she's from Nazareth. Even that alone, I think this is like the first mention of Nazareth anywhere in the entire Bible. Um, And just from a little bit of reading I did, I feel like Nazareth was probably 
remarkable for being unremarkable at this point. I think nothing really exciting seemed to come from Nazareth. Obviously, we know of Nazareth quite a lot now because Jesus became known as Jesus of Nazareth. So therefore, it's a name that we hear quite a bit. But back then, I think even the fact that Mary is from Nazareth is just a telltale sign of how ordinary she was. Um, So we have the angel Gabriel who appeared to this really ordinary girl. And why do we think that is? I personally think it's because how God is birthed to our world is through really ordinary people, right? It is through completely ordinary people. How many of us come out of work after a long day and is like, Lord, my work needs you. Lord, this city needs you. Lord, my family needs you. Lord, send your spirit to my workplace, to my home, to my children, to this city. Lord, my spirit, Lord, we we need your spirit. Please send it. And the Lord's like, I don't know why you're praying for something I've already done. I sent you there. I live in you. It's not your job to birth me to your surroundings, to your environment, to your world, to your generation. Because how God is birthed to our generation is through really ordinary people. And I look around this room and with the best will in the world, I see some really ordinary people. I do, ordinary people, an ordinary person, ordinary person, really ordinary person, you know what I mean? But I do. I see ordinary people and the Lord's like, yeah, but I actually, I put my spirit in you. If you want to see my spirit come to your surroundings, to your environment, you have to go and birth me there. I, I, like, that's as simple as that. How God is birthed to our world is through really ordinary people. And you know, it's kind of, it's that, there's like that really cliche saying, we hear it quite a bit, but it's, it's so true, it's the idea that, you know, God does not call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And that is that Mary is the perfect example of this. She is the perfect example of someone who was so ordinary, yet was just like, Mary, go do what you need to do. Go, go and cough you go. And do you know, this trend in the Bible did not just start with Mary. The, the Bible is quite literally like littered with people who were deemed inadequate, were deemed so ordinary. You know, we've got Moses, Rahab, David, Gideon, Joshua, Jonah, Naomi, just to name a few. Really ordinary people that God used to fulfill his plans and his purposes, but yet they were, t- they were so ordinary. And just like the, train, the trend did not start with Mary, it doesn't end with Mary. And it's so true for all of us today. And you know, it's... Um, There's also another part whenever the angel visits Mary um, and he says something to her. He said that she's favored. Um, He he says it not once, he actually says it twice. Um, He tells her that Mary is favored. Um, And, you know, favored is a word that I think sometimes we imagine what it might mean or what it might look like to be favored by God. We start to envision what it might, what things might look like for you, how life might look if the favor of God is on you. And um, while it's true that 
we serve a good God and if his favor is on you, the ultimate goal of things will, will be a good one. Um, it's true that absolutely w- there is no example of any time that anyone has sp- experienced the favor of God that it has not come hand in hand with some level of disruption. And um, I think it's never been more true than it is for Mary's story right now. We have an angel coming and visiting her. Mary probably had some really exciting plans for what life was going to look like. Probably some really, um, you know, what, what was it going to look like when I get married and what's our, you know, we're, when Joseph and I maybe have our own children and what life was going to look like. And all of a sudden, the angel appears, flips her world upside down, and the rug is completely pulled out from under her. And how many of us have ever found ourselves in the situation? in one of those kind of moments where the rug has been completely pulled out from under us and our first kind of port of call, our first posture of the heart is to be like, where are you, God? Where are you? Why have I been completely forgotten about? Why have I been left like this right now? When the reality is, if the rug is completely pulled out from under you, have you ever considered the fact that that's when God's favor is most strong? The idea that we have like this cushy, comfortable, modern world in our head where we've kind of taken the favor of God and diminished it down to the idea of, you know, getting a car parking space at Christmas over time when we want to go shopping. Um, when the Bible, you know, the Bible is just full of people that when the Lord's favor rested on them, things were completely shook up. And the question is like, how many of us are willing to be like, Lord, we actually welcome your favor today? I actually welcome your favor, knowing that on the other side of that prayer is probably a real level of discomfort, a real level of disruption, a real level where things won't look the way I typically want them to look. But if it's for his ways, if it's for his plans, if it's to, be, if it's to fall in line with what he wants, is that better or is our comfort more important? You know, the Bible is just like... Similar to the first point, the Bible is just littered with people who looked probably really, really foolish, right? Probably looked really foolish when the favor of God was on them. And, you know, it's this idea of being like, no matter what it costs me, no matter how I look to other people, no matter what it costs me in the natural, no matter how uncomfortable it is, are we going to choose him? Are we going to follow him? And are we going to honor him? And that's where this, that's kind of the bottom line on this today. You know, because when Noah was asked to build the ark, I'm sure he looked pretty foolish to people around him. Noah, what are you doing? I'm building an ark. What's an ark? I don't know, but I'm building it. I'm sure Moses looked pretty foolish to the Egyptians, or to the Israelites when he arrived at the Red Sea. The Egyptians were behind him and all he had was a stick to try and get across the Red Sea. I'm sure Daniel looked pretty foolish when he was asked to come into the, or take into the lion's den, and he said, I think God's gonna look after me when I go in here. I'm sure, you know, the Israelites looked pretty foolish. Lap six, day seven, going around the walls of Jericho, really hoping they fall, (laughs) you know? I'm sure Paul and Silas looked pretty foolish as they were, you know, shackled up in prison, worshiping their God. I'm sure... The boy looked pretty foolish when he had his two fish and five loaves and there were 5,000 people. I'm sure Mary looked pretty foolish. She was a pregnant virgin. And you know what? I'm sure to many people, Jesus looked very foolish as he hung on the cross. There's the Messiah hanging on the cross. 
And the reality is God is not asking, what do you think is possible? God is not asking, what do you think is waiting on the other side of your yes? Because when things seem impossible, that's where God does his best work. Because if we just step out into the possible constantly, what is the point? We don't have any requirement for God. Because this is the thing, Mary was a virgin. If you're a mother in the room or a father of a city youth age child who comes to you and tells you, I'm pregnant, but don't worry, the angel visited me and it's the son of God. (laughs) Tell me how you would respond. And this was not just the case of some social scandal. This was like illegal at the time. Like Mary faced death. Mary faced losing probably family, Joseph, her reputation, her life. Yet the only thing that mattered to Mary was aligning her heart with what God wanted, regardless of how foolish she looked, how ridiculous things looked. Because here's the thing, nobody actually has ever done anything significant without daring to look a bit foolish. Nobody has ever done anything without daring to look a bit foolish. And here's the thing, right? Is anyone in here willing to look a bit foolish in order to birth God to our world? Because do you know what? Noah and his family, they were saved from the flood. Moses and the Israelites did cross the Red Sea. Daniel was saved from the lion's den. The Israelites did see the wall of Jericho's fall. Mary did give birth to Jesus. Paul and Silas were freed. The little boy's lunch did feed 5,000 people. And Jesus was the Messiah. He died, he rose again. And we get to live in, his, in the fullness of what we get offered through that. Because nobody has ever done anything significant without daring to look a bit foolish first. You know, I, um, I worked for um, a company up in Belfast. Um, I left it about three years ago now, but it was a really big company. There was about, um, there was about 65, well, I say really big, really big for like a PR sector firm, but it was about, there was about 65 people worked there. And I used to have some really interesting conversations with people just about my faith. And I remember... Um, one day we were up in the lunchroom and this conversation started with about two or three people there and they were asking like, so do you believe in this? And what about that thing? Do you believe in that? And I was like, I do, yes, I do, I do. They were like, but nobody actually believes in the virgin birth. And I was like, well, I believe in the virgin birth. And at this point, there's a lot of people kind of coming in around us and it's getting a bit bigger. Um, and they're like, okay, right. Tell us this, what is the craziest thing you've ever seen with your own eyes? And I was like, okay, I just, at this point, there's people just listening, and there's a lot of us. And um, at this, during this time, we had a life group at Claire and Greg's house, and uh, there is a guy, Mark, who's a really good friend of this house, and Mark um, is a farmer. And during this time, Mark had really, um, he had a really sore back. And um, we were praying for him one night at life group and realized that his legs were two different lengths. Um, so poor Mark, because for like eight weeks straight, when life group had finished, we're like, right, Mark, get in the chair. We're all going to pray for you, right? We're believing for it. And every week he was like, guys, I, I just need to get home. And we're like, we're going to pray for you first and then we'll all leave, right? Um, and I was telling this story and I told them that literally the night before this had happened and we were praying for Mark. And while we were praying for Mark, one of his legs quite literally came down and grew and met with the other leg. Uh, and Mark left in significantly less pain than he arrived. And I told them this story. Um, guys, news spread around that office very, very quickly, right? Um, there was three floors. I worked on the bottom floor. And I can remember going up to like the cre- like two, three weeks later, going up to the creative floor. And everyone was like, Rachel, we heard you were telling people legs were growing. And I was like, I did. 
Um, and then I left that company about three years ago. And about kind of two months ago, I got a really random message um, on LinkedIn from a girl who I used to work with. Um, and she was, it was a really, just being like, oh, I really miss you and your stories of legs growing. And it was like, oh, yes. <laughs> um, and we messaged back and forth a little bit. And then she was like, look, I know this is really random, but um, I'd really love some prayer for something. And I don't have anybody else in my life that I think is a prayer. <laughs> she put in quotation marks, a prayer. Um, and here's the thing, right? I looked really foolish that day in work. And I'm not saying I have this sorted. Do you see when we're out in the streets doing hots? I feel sometimes really foolish. I do. I don't find it easy. I don't find any of this stuff easy. But I'm a very, very ordinary person who is willing to look a bit foolish in order to birth the gospel to my world. In order to be the one that might bring people to Jesus who might not have the opportunity to hear of him or encounter him. I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to look really foolish to do it sometimes. I'm working on it being out all the time. I am. It's a journey. It's not that easy. And I really sense that the Lord is just like, are you willing to do that for me today? Are you willing to step out? Are you daring to step out and just birth me to your world regardless of what it looks like? You know, I'm, um, I'm going to finish off here. Um, I'm just going to pray, but there will be some guys up here um, that are going to be willing to pray for you if you do want prayer for anything. Um, but I'd really encourage you just, do you know what? See, this week, just go do something that makes you look a bit foolish. Just go do something that scares you. Have a conversation with someone. Offer to pray for someone. Do something that makes you feel a little bit scared, a little bit out of your comfort zone. Because you don't know what it's the start of. Yeah. So, um, Lord, we just thank you so much. Um, just for who you are, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you are worth looking foolish for. We thank you that you are worth just losing things in the natural. And Lord, we just thank you that you're just a father who loves us and is so desperate to draw near to us, Lord. So I just pray, Lord, for each of us this week for opportunities, Lord, just to talk about you, to speak about you, and just to make ourselves look foolish for you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Okay. There we go. That's it. Go get your children. There you go.